This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals. The information presented is for general educational purposes only and should not be used as professional medical advice or for the diagnosis or treatment of medical conditions. The views and opinions expressed do not represent the views and opinions of our employer or any affiliated institution. Expressed opinions are based on scientific facts under certain conditions and subject to certain assumptions and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to the diagnosis or treatment of medical conditions or in any legal proceeding. Full terms and conditions can be found at portablebeads.com. And now onto the episode. Welcome back for another episode of Portable Beads. It's me, Sam, and Liz here to kick it off for our first infectious disease case. And Liz is going to take it away. A previously healthy seven-year-old male was admitted to the intensive care unit following a TBI. A PICC line was placed as part of his therapy. As he recovers, he develops persistent fevers, arthralgias, and malaise. On exam, a new heart murmur is noted. His blood cultures are positive, and due to the new heart murmur, an echocardiogram is obtained. The echocardiogram demonstrates a new endocardial vegetation confirming the diagnosis of infective endocarditis. Which organism is most likely growing in his blood cultures? A, an Enterococcus species, B, Bearden's group Streptococci, C, Staphylococcus aureus, D, Coagulase negative Staphylococci, or E, a Salmonella species? Take a couple seconds and think about the answer. All right, everybody, if you're ready, we're going to start going through our answer choices. If not, go ahead and pause the podcast and catch up with us in a little bit. So the correct answer to our question is C, Staphylococcus aureus. Before we go through the specific pathogens that are involved in infective endocarditis and their associations, let's review a little bit more about bacterial endocarditis. Yeah, so let's talk first in terms of epidemiology. So prior to the 1970s, about 30 to 50 percent of children in the United States with bacterial endocarditis had an underlying rheumatic heart disease. For the past two decades, the rate of rheumatic heart disease in the United States and other developed countries has drastically decreased, and now underlying congenital heart disease is the largest risk factor for the development of endocarditis. In recent years, there has been an increase in the number of children developing infective endocarditis without underlying congenital heart disease, as was seen in our patient here. Infective endocarditis develops when a causative organism is present in the setting of damaged cardiac or vascular endothelium. Gram-positive cocci are the most likely pathogens due to predilection for subendocardial connective tissues. Infection with gram-negative ROS and fungi can also cause infective endocarditis. Risk factors for infective endocarditis include underlying congenital heart disease, as we talked about, foreign material, including grafts and prosthetic valves, and especially in recent years, central lines which project into the right atrium are also risk factors as these lines can damage the cardiac endothelium. But the main risk factor in our patient like this was the presence of a PICC line. In terms of presentation, infective endocarditis should be suspected in any child with underlying congenital heart disease who presents with an unexplained fever. In patients without underlying congenital heart disease, the presentation of endocarditis can be indolent and a high index of suspicion is required, particularly in patients with prolonged fevers without a clear source or patients with new or changing heart murmurs. Other symptoms also include headaches, arthralgias, malaise, and myalgias, with or without a history of weight loss. Other signs include Osler nodes, Janeway lesions, Roth spots, and splinter hemorrhages, 
but these signs are actually relatively rare in children. So when diagnosing endocarditis, what we use is the modified Duke's clinical criteria. Definite endocarditis is diagnosed when there are two major criteria present, or when you have one major criterion and three minor criteria, or if you have all five minor criteria present. The first major criterion is at least two positive blood cultures with an organism typical of endocarditis. This can include Streptococcus viridens, Staphylococcus aureus, Streptococcus bovis, or the Hasek group. Remember that the Hasek group includes Haemophilus species, Agartobacter species, Cardiobacterum hominis, Echinella cordians, and Kingella species. The second major criterion is evidence of endocardial involvement, which comes in the form of a positive echocardiogram with a mass of vegetation and abscess, or a new dehiscence of a prosthetic valve, or if there is new valvular regurgitation present on your echo. Minor criteria include a predisposing heart condition or IV drug use, a fever, vascular phenomenon, which includes major arterial emboli, septic pulmonary infarcts, mycotic aneurysms, intracranial hemorrhage, conjunctival hemorrhages, and Janeway lesions. The fourth minor criterion is immunologic phenomenon, which includes glomerulonephritis, Osler nodes, Ross spots, and rheumatoid factor. And finally, the fifth minor criterion is microbiologic evidence, which is defined as a positive blood culture that does not meet the major criterion as noted above, or serologic evidence of acute infection with an organism consistent with infective endocarditis. So our question mentioned organisms which are all known to cause endocarditis, and we have to think about some important associations to help us come to the answer. So answer choice A mentioned Enterococcus species. Endocarditis caused by Enterococcus is commonly associated with genitourinary disorders. So this includes GU infections and manipulations of the GU tract. When you think about manipulations of the GU tract, the main thing you should consider is pregnancy and delivery. Answer choice B talked about Bearden's group Streptococci. This is the most common organism when you think about dental procedures in susceptible patients or patients that just have poor dental hygiene in general. Answer choice C was our correct answer, and this was Staphylococcus aureus. Staph aureus is becoming an increasingly common cause of infective carditis in, in recent years, especially in patients that do not have underlying congenital heart disease. As is seen in our patient, you should associate Staph aureus in patients with infective endocarditis when they have indwelling central lines present. Other associations for Staph aureus to keep in mind are individuals with IV drug use, diabetes, chronic skin conditions, and burn patients. Answer choice D was coagulase-negative staphylococci. This pathogen should be associated with endocarditis in individuals who have prosthetic valves. And finally, answer choice E was salmonella. This should be associated with individuals who have endocarditis and also have HIV infections. Awesome. Those are all such helpful associations to make and definitely worth repeating that part of this podcast to wherever you write before boards. So just to quickly wrap up, we need to talk about the treatment. So treatment for infective endocarditis generally lasts four to six weeks, and it'll be with IV antimicrobials, which are targeted based on speciation and susceptibilities based on your cultures. Well, guys, I think that wraps it up for today. So go ahead and visit our website at portablepeds.com and check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Portable Peds. Happy studying, guys. Woo-hoo!